The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Father, we want to want you. We want to rest in you. God, you are the fountain of life, and you is life forevermore. I pray that we will understand that, we will enjoy that, we will be founded on that unshakable foundation. You. Please inspire the word preached today. Help us see you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are 12 weeks into a sermon series on prayer called Talking with God, and I was assigned this week by myself, uh, Nehemiah, but um, as we head into the life of Jesus and looking at him pray next week, uh, I wanted to close out the Old Testament section with Isaiah and looking at Isaiah 6. So that's where we will be today. This is our introduction. Lord, teach us to pray. This request from Jesus' disciples not only expressed their personal desire, but offers their impression of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus' life was a praying life. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know God. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Um, the title of today's sermon is uh, Seeing God in Crisis. And following uh, 2020, which is just a word unto itself now, there's a lot of crises that we could talk about. But I want to talk about one that is fairly personal uh, to a, a lot of people, either we've experienced it or we have seen someone go through it not gracefully, and that is a quarter or midlife crisis. Some of you might not be familiar with the concept of a quarter life crisis, but that is now a thing, you know, because <laughs> millennials are so traumatized. <laughs> so, so they're going through their own, own crises now. Um, some of these crises we can laugh at, right? They can involve the classic buying of an expensive sports car to embrace your identity around. Or, or it could be another thing that is funny where it's like an older man wearing skinny jeans. And, you know, if you do, that's okay. Maybe you were leading the trend on this one, but... Um, but, you know, it could just be a new fashion statement that you're trying to redefine yourself. And those, those are funny, for the most part harmless, and, and they can get into a little more harmful. And that's where you really are trying to shape your identity. And you can see this in things like soul cycle, right? Like this, this uh, cultish fitness fad where, where you really, you're not just trying to get physically fit, but you're trying to actually find yourself and shape yourself form yourself in a new way. CrossFit can be that. There's a lot of these things, a lot of ways out there, 
right? That we can, we can intentionally open our soul to them because we feel dissatisfied and we realize, man, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not who I want to be. And I want to try to shape that. And we use, we use natural or uh, alt-religious ways of doing that. Rather than turning to the one who created us to say, recreate me, we try to shape ourselves and create ourselves by our own strength, our own ingenuity or something that we can do ourselves. Now, there are other crises that are no laughing matter at at all. And uh, I think of just a couple weeks ago, Hannah and I, and I don't remember how we got on this subject, but we were, we were, sharing stories that we knew of, some very close to us, of people who had left their spouses in midlife. And, um, and she was sharing a handful of, I think, three different missionary couples she knew that, that the, the husband just left the wife and ran away. And, and these, these are horrifying. And, uh, and a lot of these were this midlife. They didn't know... Uh, they weren't feeling satisfied, and so they looked to not just something, not skinny jeans, they looked to someone and let their heart go that direction. Now, these, these crises oftentimes start, probably always start, from one simple place, and that is, I think, wrapped up in the word dissatisfaction. Um, I could say sin, but I think oftentimes we're like, yeah, that's somebody else. Dissatisfaction, though, is something that probably a lot of us have wrestled with. We find that at work we're just clocking in and then checking out. We look at our lives and it feels kind of like we're just treading water. We're just holding the space we're in. And we're incredibly dissatisfied. Incredibly dissatisfied. And then something happens. Maybe... Uh, you know, all of a sudden we wake up one day and just we feel empty or we, we lose a loved one in our life when we realize, man, I don't have a lot of years left. I, I need to figure out what to do. These things lead to a crisis and our vision gets caught up with something or someone and we go that direction because that direction has a little bit of color in it. And our lives just seem to be in gray scale. Now, many Christians find themselves in this dangerous place of dissatisfaction. Not just dissatisfaction in their own lives, but maybe they wake up and they realize I'm going through the motions of going to ch- I've been just doing this for a long time. And I remember when I was excited about it, I'm not excited about it anymore. And the chasm between where I'm at and being excited about Jesus seems impossible. And maybe it's so impossible, maybe this whole thing's just a, a farce. Maybe it's not even real. So I'm just going to go start exploring other avenues. And, and I just want to encourage you that this does not need to be the case. And I think uh, Tozer's pursuit of God has been really helpful for me throughout the years when I find myself in a place of stagnation or dissatisfaction. And I highly encourage you, as a compliment to the scripture. Scripture's number one, but as a compliment to it, pursuit of God is awesome. And I want to read you his insight into this. It's the first chapter here, and he writes this. I want to deliberately encourage a mighty longing after God. 
The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality of our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. It's a line that goes through my head often. I'll read it again. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to all his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. We were created to want God and to desire him wholeheartedly. Too often, though, we we feel or we find ourselves in a place where we're like, it's a past experience, I remember longing for God, and then the rest was just kind of entitlement. (laughs) Christian entitlement of like, I'm saved, now I'm floating. I'm floating on the the wave of salvation, right? Like that's it. And, And instead of letting that longing, desire, thrill, of who God is, grow and grow and grow and grow in us. And that, that is life indeed. So the big question I'm asking today, we are asking, is this, are we satisfied? Are you satisfied or are you dissatisfied with your life? And the, the theme here, the big idea is satisfaction really starts with seeing God. It starts with seeing who God is. Now, This is what we find in Isaiah. As a segue to our passage, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their Uh, their feet uh, with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the door posts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me I cried I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Just imagine Isaiah like, Hey, I'm here. Send me. So context of this is the year King Uzziah died. This is the crisis. This time of crisis. A king has died, a king who's ruled for 52 years. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he started really well. But it's a very sobering story to read. When when King Uzziah was 16 years old and became king, it says this, uh, He sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. You imagine this really beautiful 16-year-old getting mentored by an older prophet and they're having this relationship and he's learning fear of the Lord. It says, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And then in just 10 verses later, we get the end of his life. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. 
He became proud. He had success after success after success. He was just living in success. And then he thought, man, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty amazing king. I became king at 16, and I have done that really well. He became so proud that he thought he could do any job, including burning incense in the temple. And so he took incense and he brought it to the temple. And a courageous priest, a priest by the name of Azariah, confronts him and says, leave the sanctuary. You can't be, you're the king, but you can't be here. This is a holy place, and king, you are not holy. You cannot be here. And it says the king was filled with rage. Where does that rage come from? From someone who's feared the Lord in his youth. It's come from pride, and he, he could not see. He just thought he was awesome. And as he raged in the temple... I can do anything I want. I'm the king of the land. Leprosy breaks out on his face. And for the rest of his life, he lived with leprosy, separated and ostracized from this kingdom. And then he died. And that is Isaiah 6.1. That is the crisis this nation's going through. A crisis of a nation who's been led well and then led by their leader into a posture of pride. And now they're grappling with an untimely, terrifying death. That's the only context we have. In the year King Uzziah died, and Isaiah, we don't know if he's walking, we don't know if he's praying, he could be sleeping, he could be awake, we don't know. All we know is in the year King Uzziah died of leprosy because he forgot fear of the Lord. In that year, Isaiah sees the Lord and is given a new context of kingship. He's given the context of kingship and that is God exalted. It's it's this amazing vision. It's so real, but we don't know in what capacity Isaiah is. But it is so real and, and He sees the Lord and all we get, all we get is a a picture of a throne room and and a train of a robe. We have no, he doesn't even try to describe the face of the Lord, but he sees the Lord. He doesn't even describe, and and I don't even know, because he goes, he describes the seraphim. He goes, their wings, they were covering their face because they didn't, you know, they didn't want to look at the Lord. And then they were covering the rest of them and they were flying and And the temple was full of smoke. And they were singing a song that never gets tired. A song that every time you say it is refreshing and true. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Over and over again. They're just just flapping their wings singing. That, That is what's happening here. And what does that do? This scene does two things for Isaiah. The first thing is this. It absolutely stops Isaiah in his tracks. I think that is so good because, and and we all need this in our lives. In in our lives, we just get busy. We just get so preoccupied. And, And Isaiah, I mean, we've already got five 
chapters of amazing prophecy. But it's at this point where Isaiah goes, woe to me. (laughs) I've, I've heard the voice of the Lord. I've been his spokesperson in Israel. But woe to me because I'm a person of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I wonder if, and this is something that so many of us, some happened to so many of us, I wonder if he got really casual with God. Oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, God, he talks to me and then I like talk to Israel. It's just something we do. I'm one of the prophets. You know, <laughs> what, what did that look like? We don't know. But at this moment where he gets stopped in his tracks, where he sees the holiness of God, where he sees God for who he is, he simply confesses. Now, the sense we get from this is as if Isaiah knows he, it's almost like the presence of God is painful because he is sinful. Um, and the, the image that came to mind here for me was one of, um, when you are in a dark room, if you're just, lights are off, you're in your room, uh, your, your pupils are dilated wide. They're trying to take in all the light they possibly can. They're desperate to grab any sort of light. Now, if a light gets thrown on, the matter of time for your pupils to go from so wide to contract is painful for your eyes, physically. You know, if you've ever tried that, it's painful. You get blinded for a moment. And it's like, that's what happened to Isaiah. Is as if he was like, his eyes were wide, but then the glory, the holiness of God is around him. And, and he just, it's like he contracts. You can't take in holiness. You can't take in light. There's no relationship between holiness and sin. And and that's what he experiences in the temple of the Lord. The holiness of God and holiness of God being just simple definition. That God is one of a kind. There's no one like him. There's nothing, nothing, because God is uncreated and creates everything. We can only receive the image of God. God can only give his image, right? There's nothing like him. Everything comes from him. From him, in him, we live and move and have our being, right? That everything finds its origin in who God is. And so God in his holiness that's pure, absolutely pure. To get exposed to that, Isaiah is is in a moment jaw-dropping to the ground, but terrified. Woe to me, because I am unclean. I have known you, but what I knew of you was as if I was in a dark room, and now I've seen you. And God extends this offer to him. One of the seraph comes and burns his lips, and he says uh, to him, uh, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt has taken away. Your sins are atoned for. Do you need to get stopped in your tracks? Do you need your eyes to contract <laughs> go oh I can't take it all in I can't take you all in God have you become more casual with God than you should be the second thing that happens is Isaiah sets a new course and I, I love the way this works here because uh, Isaiah hears over, kind of overhears the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and God is not descriptive at all <laughs> he's not like who will go with us to Russia <laughs> you know? He just doesn't say anything. He just, who's going to go? And Isaiah just signs up. <laughs> he goes, you know, I'm, I've been accepted by God. I am going to go wherever God will lead me. More than anything, he simply fears leaving the presence of God. 
I think of the song, Prone to Wonder, Lord, I, I feel it. Lord, just, I'm, I'm so prone. Keep me here. Keep me with you. I know if you send me somewhere, you're going to go with me. So choose me, even though he has no idea where God is sending him. I love this just simple Isaiah in a year of crisis, in a moment of crisis, in a time of turmoil, God shows up in a mighty way and simply shows himself. And the context of the crisis is now changed. It's changed from Isaiah's fear or Israel's fear to simply who God is. Does your crisis need to be redefined that way? Who God is. And then we will go wherever he points us. Now, I remember, um, very, it's different, but I remember when I was in Colorado before I came back to Bremerton, having a clear sense of the direction of God to, to come back here. And in a lot of ways, I had my life planned. And to come, to respond, was him just redirecting me. And um, I, something he used really powerfully in my life at that time was the song um, that, that Kim Walker had covered called How He Loves. And, and it's a very simple song, and the refrain is, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And it's just, this, oh, how loved we are. And I just remember just getting so caught up in that song. Just the, the love of God being so tangible, so fierce to me, just listening to that. And I was in Colorado by myself. I was living with my brother and um, and his wife, but in a lot of ways felt pretty alone. And just this feeling of, I, I am in many ways directionless, in many ways alone, but I am so loved. And that put me in this space where I was ready to, whatever God said, I was going to go, yeah, just there. I'm going to go there. And so packed up my bags and came back here. And to this day, that is a very tangible experience. I don't doubt that God called me here. Now, there are times I am dissatisfied being here. I'm just dissatisfied with life sometimes. <laughs> I'm common. I'm like you. That does not mean, though, that the calling wasn't true and clear. That means something's happened in my soul that's happened in my heart and mind, and I need, I need God to again show up with his holiness and blow me away. I want to make myself available in this time of crisis, this season of crisis I'm in now, to have the whole context put into perspective again. And that perspective is the holiness of God. So contrast this vision. Contrast what Isaiah saw with buying a new car or a new fitness cult. Right? They don't compare with these other things that are trying to satisfy us they are still like trying to open our eyes wide in a dark room. That's all they are. We're just trying to open our eyes and take it all in as much as we can. We need God simply because God is enough. Because this moment is a moment and that's all it is. When I've got to share with people about my dad's passing, I do feel like all we are living in now is a moment between meeting him again. A moment between now and heaven, that's all we're in. We're in a moment. And the only satisfaction we're going to find in that moment is living with an eternal perspective. That we will stand before a holy God someday. And we will give an account for the life that we have lived. 
this moment that we've lived in. So what do we do? And the simple answer is this. We try opening our eyes to this holy God. To look at him, to just look at him. Now I'm, I'm drawn back to the story of Peter on the waves when I think of just looking at him, right? Looking at him. And, and, and Peter, if you know the story, he, when he looked at Jesus, he could walk on the water. And when he t- took his eyes off Jesus, he couldn't. And what I want to ask us is, so we don't have that physical Jesus to look at, but in a way, what we have is more what we need right now. Because our eyes, so many of us, right, in our age of science, we're like, seeing is believing. Honestly, your seeing is terrible. <laughs> I see that toy and that trinket And so I desire it with all my heart. Even though I'm married, I see that other person and I'm dissatisfied with my spouse. That's your seeing. And that seeing that leads to terrible believing and dissatisfaction, that's what our seeing does to us. Right? Amen? Like, our seeing sucks. What we need is eyes of faith that focus on the promise that what God says is true. And I need to fix my sight on that. Amen, right? That is what I need to see. Because the things I'm seeing here and now are leading me astray, right? They're making me caught up in this dark moment not living in the light of his presence. That's what the eyes of faith do. And we, and, and we so wrestle with, why do we wrestle with faith so much when it is what opens us up to what is truly life? So it is that seeing of faith that truly allows us to finally believe and live and be satisfied. Let me just read to you uh, how this works in First Peter, the one who did see Jesus on the water. This is what he says in the beginning of First Peter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. All of this you great, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that you're that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which persists even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Guys, if you're not following yet, follow me here. This is so precious. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. That is what seeing is. This new birth into a living hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade, that is secure in heaven for us, the salvation of our souls. That is 
satisfaction in a time of crisis, a living hope that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, that death can't take away, that the sting of death is gone because we have a living hope, an eternal hope. Amen. As we take communion today, and you hold the bread, and you dip it in the juice, I want you to just be, man, this is the tangible, I'm holding to that promise. <laughs> that Jesus was, Jesus lived, Jesus was physical, that Jesus died and he rose, and he is preparing a place for me. I am satisfied now, and that hope that cannot be, that cannot be taken away. As we sing, I invite you to take communion in remembering that. Pray with me. God, we are people of the promise, people of your promises, people of your word. And your word you keep. Sing your word over us. Oh, how you love us. We love you too. Amen.